produced by Podcast Architects. You're listening to the Lead On Podcast, where we discuss experiences in the armed forces while exploring lessons from military leaders. Howdy. Howdy. Hey, I'm David Deary. Welcome to another edition of Lead On, Lessons from Military Leaders, brought to you by the Enlisted Leadership Foundation, a podcast where we just share about leadership lessons from former and current military. Today, I have with us Jamie Dean. Jamie served in the Navy for a few years back in the 19th century. Well, not to say that I'm going to date her. I actually joined the Navy before you, Jamie. So, uh, Jamie, uh, welcome to the to the podcast. When exactly were you in the Navy? Well, thank you for having me. And I was active duty from 1988 to 1992. And then I did four, year reserve, four years in the reserves from 92 to 96. So. Well, Jamie, thank you for your service, first and foremost. Well, thank uh, you for, for your Oh, absolutely. So a little bit of context. Uh, I met Jamie several years ago. She was actually a, a boss of my daughters at a Starbucks. And of all, all the bosses that my daughter had at this particular store, Jamie's impact as a leader on her was so significant. And, you know, Jamie's the kind of person that people want to emulate when it comes to leadership. You know, oftentimes, we have to follow people who are leaders because of their position that they have, where Jamie is somebody that wants to connect with everybody that she leads. And so I was curious, Jamie, if this connection, where where did you learn that? Did you learn that growing up? Was Iowa, I think you said you were from? Illinois. 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 Um, so, so, maybe a little bit. Um, always been that people person, kind of want to know what makes people tick. Um, and then I, I think mostly from the Navy, to be honest with you, um, I had such a hard time at first in the military being in 1988 with mostly men that nobody really wanted to deal with the, the woman sailor that had to go in the work center. So um, you really had to find those ways to connect with them so you could become part of that group. And I think it's just carried me through every career I've had since then, just trying to uh, to know what makes people tick. And then I believe you're a better leader when you do know that, so. So, you know, thinking about what you, where, where you're raised, how you're raised, what you, some of that, that you brought into the military with you and joining in a male dominant community, not saying that this came from a male and it may not have come from the military, but what's the worst piece of leadership advice somebody ever gave you? Yeah, it came from a male, but no, <laughs> I think the very worst was to leave your emotions out of it. Like, oh, really? you know, you're not supposed to have any emotions as a, as a manager or as a petty officer in charge or as the senior airman, which I was at one point, you know, um, but I saw a quote that I absolutely loved and it said the seed of motivation is planted in the heart. And I really, truly believe that you have to be somewhat emotionally connected to your leader, emotionally connected to your work. Um, somehow that emotion is what what brings out the best in everybody as me, as their leader or or um, who I'm leading. So, um, yeah, I, I put and sometimes I put a little too much emotion and there. There can be a time where it's too much and you got to pull back. But um, I think, you know, I was told don't be emotional at all. It's black and white and it's not black and white. It's, it's yeah. very gray actually. So. Yeah. Well, leadership is very gray, right? You, very you, gray. I, I think some of the best leaders I've worked for take the time to 
get to know those that they are leading and because there's times that we have to be able to well not there's time we whenever possible we want to get to know those that we lead because we lead to people differently we assign tasks to different personalities differently um, and how you respond to somebody you know if, if there's a coaching conversation to be had you know how you handle that coaching conversation i could coach person a one way and they they're in tears which has happened you know and then you could try to coach b the same way and they absolutely respond and you get the best of them so i think that you really have to know that and in, in order how to coach and how to help make them better it's kind of like kids right each of your kids all three of my kids i have to talk to differently i can scream at one and that's when they finally listen or um, you know, have to talk really nice. So yeah, I think it. I think it's just you have to know your people and you have to know how to to communicate with them. So well, and as you uh, as you or me move up in a ladder of an organization, when the bench in which we're leading grows, it's it's like you need to be able to emulate. Well, you will emulate yourself. If you're a bad leader, you're going to emulate more bad leaders, right? And that because you can't, you know, you get two dozen, three dozen. Heck, in, in my case, when, when I was a senior enlisted on a ship with a thousand or more sailors, you know, I had to make sure that I was connecting with those who were leading all those sailors and hopefully in a positive way so that that positive influence would, would filter down. Did you, did you find that to be true in the civilian workforce now? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think I'm, I think I'm a combination of every leader I've ever had. You know, you kind of, you, I, I would love to emulate people and I'm sure people have emulated me, but I'm sure that they've also left out some of the things I've done, just like I've left out. Um, there's certain things I wouldn't imagine doing because they were done to me that way. Mm. Um, can you, can so you share absolutely. one of those things? Tell us what one of those that? things. You know, it, it, keeping it in the idea of, of emotion and emotional leadership, what's one of those things that was done to you that you would never do to somebody else? Well, when I was in the Navy, um, mm -hmm. especially in 1988, and I know that things have, have really changed since then, so that's good. Um, I had a supervisor. I was in E3, and I had a supervisor who wanted to go out clubbing because, you know, this was the late 80s. We went clubbing then. So, um, and I was like, uh, no, thank you. You know, I mean, he's, I think he was in E5. So, you know, he was my senior at that time. And I'm like, no. Um, and I just kind of thought it would be a real blow off, easy, you said no. So he asked again. I said, no, thank you. Um, he kept me, he let the whole work center go home kept me and I field dayed all by myself on a Friday afternoon and he so sat is, in a chair what is and field day? What's field day? Field day, uh, deep cleaning of the work center. So okay. mopping the whole bit. What was your job? I guess I should have asked. If oh, I'm contact. sorry. I was an a, I was aviation support equipment technician. Okay, so, so what did, what would your work center look like that you had to field day and deep clean? Um like a car mechanics garage pretty oh, much dear. okay so i mm. worked in work center 950 which was the uh 
preventative maintenance because that's where you start because then you can learn all of the gear. So it's the yellow gear. Well, it's white now, but it was yellow in the 80s okay. up on the flight line. So okay. we did electrical. So when you go watch Top Gun, look for all that white gear on the flight yes. line. At and the that's very what Jamie worked on as a young sailor in 1988. Okay, when continue When you see on. that heifer in, um, in the second Top Gun, that was it. So, okay. But um, yeah, so lots of mopping. Um, you know, we had a big vat of PD 680 that you like clean bearings in. So you had to like drain it and clean it. But so it was, it was a lot of work. So I did it because I was told to do it. Um, and it just continuously got worse until one day we were changing the generator on an NC8 and we're both under because he was training me. I was very new. I, I mean, I think I was an E3. I might've been an E2, but How I think I was you? an E3. Um, and we're underneath this NC8 and every time he wanted a tool, he just decided he'd just roll right on top of me to get that tool. So I'm like, um, enough, no more. And he did it one more time. So I just kind of took a wrench and hit him with it. So, <laughs> so that might be a case where your emotions get a little out of whack, but it got the point across, you know, where, I mean, where'd you hit him? Oh, like right up in the shoulder, just, oh, boom, just yeah, oh my yeah. gosh. Kind of hit him like right here in the head. Cause I mean, it's awkward because there's a, there's a vehicle on yeah. top of you. So yeah. Yeah. So, that happened. Okay. So, uh, there's, a, there's something that I'm sure you didn't take. Well, you probably took with you defending yourself. You did well, take with you uh, abusing ab people. Absolutely. And what I, what I took from that, I mean, that was a pretty long story there. But what I took from it was a way to find my voice. Like maybe I couldn't find my voice. I asked him twice nicely, um, mm -hmm. you know, and at that point in time, I was much smaller, you know, I had like 110 soaking wet. So I was you know, very intimidated by him, really couldn't find my voice. But after the wrench incident, I found my voice and I went straight sure. to my master chief's office. And then I had my voice and stuck up for every female that he had done it to before me, which oh, well. there had been quite a few. So um, I think that it's an example of, I let my emotions get a little out of whack, but in the end I did find my voice and, and nobody did it to me again. I'll, I'll tell you that, you know. I, they actually called me slugger for a little while, which is kind of embarrassing. <laughs> well, well, you know, but that's that's so true. You know, today we need to find our voice. You right, know, and, absolutely. And when, when there is a hostile work environment, when there's a bully, when there's an abusive leader, um, yeah, you so, somebody, sometimes you got to be that person to uh, to bring it to people's attention. You know, the, you know, I tell people the system will work if you get the system a chance. It's not always perfect. Uh, granted, no system is, but more often than not, um, and I've before I got out of the service, I saw a lot of the things improving on how we conducted investigations and treating both the victim and the accused better. Um, oftentimes, taking the victim's work for stuff instead of often, you know, sometimes we would just assume wrongly. So. Um, no, I absolutely agree. And yeah. my son is actually active duty now. He's a okay. chief. Um, right. Which I think he knew that, but he's the chief. And, um, you know, I've talked to him about it time and time again. And um, definitely the military has, has come a long way since yeah. since that happened. I mean, that was a long time ago. But, yeah, definitely doing better with that. So so where else? Was there another time um, after this incident, whether that command or another command, that you also found your voice where, you know, your emotion, um, 
didn't get the best of you by any stretch, but, but you had to deep, you know, really, cause sometimes emotional leadership is, is as much how we lead ourselves, Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, um, so back to being a very young enlisted girl, you know, I was 19 and all of a sudden I saw like on duty days, I would see guys in camis. Now, I want to remind you, I wish I, I did have a picture somewhere around here. You know, I was in the, the age of the dungarees, you know, the dungarees that went all the way up to here and, you know, the bell bottoms. So I'm seeing these camis and I'm like, Ooh, well, what do I have to do to wear that? And I was told, oh, you can't do that. You're a girl. They, that's ASF. That's the auxiliary security force. Well, no matter what, and this is probably how I'm raised, you tell me I can't do it, I'm going to figure out a way to do it, even if it is just to wear camis and not, <laughs> not wear bell bottoms. But um, so I told my master chief that I was very interested in doing it. He got me, you know, to get to go. And it wasn't a tryout, but you had to do a PFT test. And there wasn't a, there's never been a woman trying before. So they made me do the men's PFT test in order to, you know, to qualify. And I did. So it was great. It was great. So um, once I'm on on ASF, there was actually another girl that came on as well. And it was, it was great. You know, we were shooting and doing these scenarios if the base ever got attacked. But we were at NAS Miramar and there was a wait, wait, did you say Naval Air Station? Miramar? Naval Air Station, oh way before God. MCAS. Okay. <laughs> so Naval Air Station Miramar. Um and in San Diego. So Duffy Town is the sheriff's department. So they have part of East Miramar and they have the SWAT team obstacle course. And this is like the big thing on ASF is that you get to do this obstacle course. Um, we're all there that morning and they do it up good. I'm talking tear gas. There's huge fences. I mean, it's what the SWAT team does. So you had to qualify in four minutes, four minutes to get it. Right. And there were some guys not doing it. And most guys didn't think I was going to do it. So they were kind of like, eh, whatever, you know, the chicks here, that's pretty much what it was. The chicks here, you know? So, so, so did, so did you have to, it, to be the, on the auxiliary security force in, at Miramar, was this a requirement? I mean, no, somebody... this wasn't. The requirement okay. was the men's PFT. Okay, this was so, just so something this, this that is just added if you wanted added to. Added on, so that's right? Why like, some of the dudes like, yeah, I'm, I'm not down with that, but that's not you. No, oh, absolutely not. Okay. I mean, you know, now I'm used to wearing the cami, so I'm going to totally fit in. <laughs> so, okay. so we're doing this. Um, you know how it is. Everybody's cheering each other on. Everything's great. And um, I did it. And there was this, the, I could get over the, the walls fine because one of the guys that I was really close with was like, don't use your arms, swing your legs, you know, use, use your legs and your lower body because you don't have the same upper body strength no matter what. So I go to over all the walls, everything was great. And there is this dummy and it is a 180 pound dummy. And it is just just that. It looks like a crash test dummy, you know, and they have it leaning up against the fence and you have to drag the, the dummy. And I'm going to be honest, I can't remember if it was six or eight feet, but you had to drag this dummy, right? And it got the best of me. So I'll we'll say I it was eight it. feet. It sounds better. What was that? We'll say eight feet. Okay. It sounds better. I think it was 800 feet. Dave, okay. Yeah. 800. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. So you had to, you know, you had to drag the dummy and then finish the rest of the course. Um, so I dragged the dummy, you had four minutes and I finished in 406 and oh. I was so just, uh, and the guys, 
number one, the guys at, by the end, they were cheering for me because they're like, she's going to finish. Right. So honestly, I could have probably just quit at the 406 and the guys were like, yeah, but me being me, I walked to the end of the line. I threw my guts up because it was just disgusting. You know, the, you know, adrenaline and tear gas and everything else. And I got back in line and I did it again. But this time I, I put my arms under the dummy like this under both of his armpits and then just leaned and used my weight instead of struggling with the dummy. I just used my weight to pull the dummy and it was like that. I had it and I finished in 352. So I did qualify, but it's funny because that story has become like, I don't want to say a motto of my life, but it really has because there's always something that's that 180 pound dummy. Right. And you, you try your own way, you know, to, to get past it or to drag it by its hands or, or whatever the case may be. I was trying everything to move that thing. But once I just took a deep breath, put my arms under it and just lean, that's all it took was me leaning back and dragging it. It became easy. So I I always use the example at Starbucks. It it doesn't matter if it's your shorthanded, your, your drive-through stack, your machines down, there's always something in life that you, you've got to figure it out and you got to figure it out in the moment most of the time. And so that was a, that was a good story. It, it turned out well. And I still talk to about five or six of those guys I was on ASF with. We're all friends on Facebook. And um, yeah. And when I had the coffee with the veteran at, at my Starbucks, three of them showed up, drove in from out of town. So yeah. Lifelong friendships, which I'm sure anybody listening to this with the military understands. It's, it's oh, you yeah. just become family. So no, it's so true. Yeah. You know, um, do you find uh, the dummies in the life of those that never served? Mm-hmm. Do they have a harder time uh, doing with those dummies versus anybody that you've maybe hired who was a veteran? Um. Somewhat, because I have hired, I've hired a few veterans that just have done amazing, but I think it's because it's more routine based. Um, And you know, us military folks, we like a routine. We like, this is what it needs to be done. This is steps one through six. So it's gone well. Um, Let me ask you this, as as a civilian now and having served, okay, so, and you just did four years active, followed by the four years of active reserves. And, And then so from 88 to about 94, so now 25 years have have gone past, more than 25 years. But you've been, you know, you've raised your family, you've been in the workforce. Um, what what message would you encourage any employer, any talent manager who's you know between this person and a veteran, right? Um, that maybe the veteran doesn't have the same level of experience. Maybe they've got the they don't have the preferred, they've got the minimum, okay? But all things other than that, is it worth taking the risk on the veteran based on Absolutely. your experience? Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you Nine find veterans can, 10... be, do, can, can veterans be, let's, you know, thinking of emotional leadership, do you find us to be emotional leaders or do we tend to just be uh, black and white leaders in your experience? I think that, a lot of the uh, recent veterans like that have maybe served 2010 up, um, maybe, you know, in the 2000s. Um, I actually think that 
they're coming out better leaders. I think that they see that gray that we're talking about. Um, I don't think, I think maybe in 88, 92, 96, it was a lot of black and white and you kind of had to, to find your own gray area where now I think gray is, uh, is more the norm in the military. I think there's a lot of different, uh, you know, you have to be adaptable to those things. And I think they're maybe teaching that adaptability maybe more so in the military nowadays than they were when I was in. Um, I've had a, I had a first class that um, worked for me for a little while. He's now working with the sheriff's department and um, he just got it. I think it's that grit. Like I, I believe that veterans have that grit and they just nine times out of 10, they want to do well for you. And, you know, you can't train that. It, 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 you can't train that. It's, it's kind of, you know, so that's why, in all honesty, I picked a veteran every time. I, I would, I'd give him a shot every time. So, and I have quite a few times. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, you know, listen, time goes by fast and our time is just about out. And, you know, normally I ask a, a, a closing question of the worst piece of leadership advice, but in the, I, I would rather you give a piece of leadership advice. You know, what, whether it's a, you know, around emotional leadership, but, you know, with your experience in the Navy, um, and then since then, what piece of leadership advice would you give someone either considering to serve or transitioning out, or maybe somebody's here listening, they never serve, maybe they're, maybe they're the CEO of a company, I don't know, but what, what piece of leadership advice could you leave us with today? Um, I think that what sticks out the most and the thing that I've always tried to tell myself and maybe my supervisors, um, be pro be proactive versus reactive. Whenever you're reacting, even if, even in that emotional leadership role, like, I mean, if that's, if that's where you're at, cause I definitely live there, you, you still have to find a way to control that. So if you're proactive and you plan and, and you know, there's going to be that 180 pound dummy somewhere, cause it's going to pop up all the time. Right. How can I react? You know, how can I, calmly react to that instead of just reacting to everything going wrong and, and going crazy. So absolutely proactive versus reactive. And that um, I've learned in the last few years, actually. So definitely, definitely have learned that. So yeah, I'm still learning. I yeah, am. me too. Me too. At home. You know, yes. I might have it down at work at home. I'm a little more reactive, I think. So. Yeah. Well, listen, Jamie Dean, um, it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast, talking to you, hearing your stories. Um, and for all those listening, thank you for tuning in. This has been another edition of Lead On, Lessons with Military Leaders. Uh, Jamie Dean, again, thank you. Uh, thank please you. tune in next time. And uh, Jamie, I hope to someday have you back. Oh, me too. Thank you. Okay. Bye, all. <laughs>